Hey everyone, I'm your host Amanda and this is Light It Up. I'm joined by Lucy Della to shine a light on Lighthouse character. However, this episode is not strictly about the lens, but about maintenance. What could possibly be so interesting about maintenance and lighthouses, Del? Yeah, it's a great question because maintenance is, I feel like, a notoriously boring subject as in people don't necessarily care about um, the effort people put in to keep something kept. It's not something that excites people. But something I was curious about, and I think a lot of people may have had this thought as well, is the shape of the lighthouse is iconic. It's that tall, round structure. And I was sort of having a think about why that would be, like what is the appeal for that? Um, Why are they all in that same shape? And basically it does tie into the maintenance factor in a big way. So the round shape is effectively so that when the wind and the harsh sort of rain and the seawater is getting flung onto these gorgeous tall white buildings, um, if they're round, the wind sort of just wraps around it um, and the erosion. So if it, if it was a square house, the corners would sort of just get slowly eroded away by the salt and by the wind. But having it round means that every point of impact is the same. So there's no area that gets targeted more than the other. And I think that that would make maintenance a lot easier having less. I can imagine if they were that one corner, kind of like that pimple that just never quite goes away. It's that one corner of the lighthouse that just would always be needing to be fixed. So yeah, I found that quite interesting. And once again, I think that ties into the engineering sort of mindset around these places. I think you're onto something, Del. I wonder what would happen if suddenly all new homes were built in a circular fashion. Sounds like uh, it's the way to go. I think so. I think, I do think the interior would suffer in the way of rooms would be hard to divide, but I I think it's worth it for the sake of the aesthetic of the um, design community. I think I think we need to get onto it, Mandy. <laughs> so so far in our lighthouse journey, we focused a lot on the keepers, a lot on their families. But if there were ever any other unsung heroes in this lighthouse journey, it would be the maintenance crew. They seem to have been universally respected by a lot of people that I've spoken to about the work they did to preserve in the past and currently these beautiful, aesthetically pleasing, smooth round structures. Have you seen that TV series uh, Snowpiercer? I think I started it and then not sure where what happened there. I'm not sure, but no, I have not seen it. I know the premise of it, um, but tell me about it. The relevance is the connection with the maintenance crew. So We discover, spoiler alert, that it's actually the maintenance janitors who are really running and calling the shots in the second and third class black economy. Similarly here in the Lighthouse community, they're the ones that keep things going, but I can imagine there's probably no mafia element in the Lighthouse community. I'm not entirely sure what they would trade on the black market, but let's have a listen to this. The the uh, other side of lighthouses is, of course, they had the the ships that had to maintain all the lights and all of the technicians and crew that were involved in the support network of lighthouses, which was nearly as big as the lighthouse uh, community, the keeper community. It mm. probably was as big. I'm fascinated by the way the people lived and how they interacted with each other at the lights. But then I've discovered, you know, there were people who were 
carpenters who'd come down when they needed to build fences. So I'm just about to meet up with a fellow who's now in his 90s, but he built fences at, down at Cape Shank Lighthouse. The school teachers, um, quite a few of the light stations actually had their own teachers. So at Cape Otway, they had a school. At Cape Shank, they had a all the things that are happening and even the supplies in the trade. Another thing, of course, that happened um, at a lot of these um, early lighthouses was they became the post office for the area or where at least you would deliver, uh, you know, have the like settlers from around that area, but that's where the postman would collect things from and deliver them to. In the case of Cape Otway, it became the Postal and Telegraph Office of um, the area. And, of course, there was also the telegraph station where you could send telegrams. Um, so everything was linked. Then, of course, there were the maintenance men. In Melbourne, it was the maintenance uh, building was in Willis Street, um, right um, just off a Beckett Street between uh, Latrobe and Beckett Street um, in Willis Street. And then there was um, people in uh, later then in the um, 80s, I think they were in the Rialto building in Melbourne. But it was actually very, very important and very big to keep the lights working so that the ships would be safe and all the background that has to happen to get that that to occur. In today's episode, we feature Lance Wilson and Mark Sheriff, OAM, lighthouse legends and characters in their own right. First up, we begin with maintenance in the past with Lance Wilson. Lance Wilson, and it was senior painter, for the New South Wales and Eastern region. And then move on to maintenance in the present with Mark Sheriff. Uh, Mark Sheriff, who's well known around lighthouse circles, he's known all over Australia, everybody knows him. He used to be a lighthouse keeper on Sugarloaf Point and he's wor- he works for AMS, so he works on lighthouses all around Australia. My name's Mark Sheriff and I'd like to be known for is one of the greatest lighthouse janitors of all time. Uh, also, I'm a senior janitor, so I've, I reckon I could apply for a senior's card. And, you know, that's all lighthouse keepers were. It's great on a banister brush, good on a polish rag, dapper a bit of paint. Oh, look, that door needs a bit of squeaky oil on it. Let's take a listen. Does it take a specialist type of skill to maintain and paint a lighthouse? No, not really. It's it's different to being, say, a house painter. Like, I joined in 1980, but I joined as a uh, just as a workshop and labourer on the jobs, you know, and um, I I was never a qualified painter. I just walked into the job because become a va- vacant, and, and all uh, the crew in the depot said to me, apply for it. So I applied for it, and um, I got the job. Over the years, I learned... Lots of things about, you know, the stonework and what what sort of paints to apply to stonework and the concrete and all that sort of stuff in in getting these lights to, um, you know, stay in, in good condition. I was uh, the painter for the region with the mechanics. We were based in, uh, in a depot in Sydney in, uh, in Beaconsfield, in Victoria Street, Beaconsfield. And what we did, we travelled up and down the state, you know, doing maintenance work on the lights, major work, small works, whatever whatever was in the program. We had 
two mechanics and probably one, two, three, four electricians. When I started, there were six electricians. That was two of the old chaps that had uh, been, been in the job for years, actually. Uh, that was Ian Cameron and Harry Miller. The technical side of it started to develop oh, probably three or four years after um, I became the painter. And that came about because of the way that uh, paint was falling off some of the lights over the years. And um, there was a problem with the lights, with especially sandstone lights and some of the concrete block t- uh, lights, which build out concrete blocks. You get water retention, which comes in through what we call a tuck point in the joints. This water had, was getting into the tower through water retention under the under the skin of the paint. So what we had to do was actually make the towers breathe. You know, let get the air in and circulating to keep them dry. Because the most of the staircases are cast iron, and this was a major problem. With they'd rust out, and they used to blow. They could blow chunks out of the stone and uh, and, and concrete. This had to be rectified. But that's where the technical side eventually came into my job and more so when they got rid of lead paint and <laughs> that created a problem in its in another category. <laughs> could, you, yeah. could you elaborate more on the use of lead paint to um, paint the lighthouses? We used to use a product called it was a lead chromate. It was a really bright orange type paint. It wouldn't have been much more than 20% lead, but I can tell you that was the best primer ever for treating steelwork on lighthouses. And what, what we used to do is we used to heat the steel up with a blowtorch or even with a, a port gas burner would get enough heat. And then we'd apply the paint onto that hot metal. And the science comes into it, it, it seems improbable, but the idea was that the metal expands with the heat and it, it allows the absorption of the paint into the metal. When they banned it, we had a terrible time finding suitable primers to protect the rust. Lots of things we used were just useless. Working with paint manufacturers and reading all the, the journals, you know, to try and find out what we could use. But um, in the end, I just, using Ferropro, which is just basically a paint that's based on ferric, ferric oxides, would never ever meet the old red lead, as we called it. Uh, it's never as good as the good old stuff, isn't it, sometimes? No, well, you know, like we used to say around the lights, when you look at the craftsmanship and all the stuff that went into them, you know, if you go back right into the, you know, when lighthouses in the 1800s, that the old blokes, as we used to call them, the old blokes, they knew what they were doing. Where has that What's knowledge it? gone, Lance, in terms of that craftsmanship and that ability to maintain these lighthouses? Yeah, well, they got they got people now that... Um, they're doing things different, and pro, I, you know, because I've been out of the job now for quite a few years. Probably the technology has changed a lot. You know, like um, they're using different sorts of paints, and they're using uh, all sorts of different things. I imagine a lot of the knowledge about how to maintain lighthouses would have remained with the light keepers, but you know, once the light stations progressively became automated, how was that knowledge of maintenance shared, if at all? The, the big thing that I've said to the boys when we meet up is not having computers. You know, back in the early 80s, you know, computers were around, but we, it's not like today, you go and pull your laptop out or, your, you know, whatever, you got your iPod or whatever. Most of the stuff we did was just in reports and very few 
people would write reports, but they'd come back and they they wouldn't do a report. They would fill in what they called a worksheet and watch what they the basics were done, you know, and the job was done. And, and nobody really cared. So it's almost a lost art, some lost knowledge, unfortunately. Yeah, a lot of knowledge has been lost. In fact, one of our mechanics, Frank Miles, he become really upset. The light out, little lighthouse here on Botany Bay called Cape Bailey was um, a settling-operated light. It was um, a, lot of, a lot of automatic lights used to be a settling, and, and it, again, it's technical because they operated with a what I call a daylene. I think it was called a daylene or something or other. And this involved, I think inside them there was gold, which used to heat up and would close off the acetylene. Once the heat come on, the light went out. You know, it um, was extinguished with the day. Anyway, they decided to solarise it. That is, remove the flasher and all the associated equipment. And Frank Miles, this mechanic, become put up a fight to say, like, retain this light as a acetylene. Yes, acetylene is dangerous, but, you know, we've been working for, with it for a number of years. We can get by that. To retain say, a heritage factor. But it didn't happen. You know, the powers of beauty said, no, where you go. Because Cape Bailey is very, it's considering how close it is to Sydney and Botany Bay, it's a very remote light. You've got to travel in over sand tracks and all sorts of things to get there. I loved your analogy before, or your comment about, you know, your job at one of the lighthouses was to let the lighthouse breathe the idea that a lighthouse is a living and breathing place is quite a beautiful way to describe it you know what what do lighthouses mean to you are they alive are they places of you know well, magic and in, romance if you go like when i'm talking about say south solitary come back here to nora head in it you know back in the 70s you could say they were uh, a living breathing thing you could walk in them at night and you would expect silence, you know, apart from, say, the noise of the motor driving the lens around. But if you sat in, say, one of the service rooms and you just sat there, your imagination could take over that you could hear all the old light keepers talking. You would sort of get this um, resonance in the tower. And, and we used to say to lots of people, you know, go down there and walk in the tower and listen to the lighthouse keepers talking. And, and most people agreed they had heard the same sort of thing. And it's it's one of those buzzes that you get about the places and what, what makes you appreciate them. And um, I can't really put my finger on it, but um, it's just that feeling you get get about the place. You don't need to see me, even though I washed my hair and did it and had a shave. So... Um... That's fine. Oh, what that a pity. Great. I'm sorry you went to that effort then. <laughs> oh, look, I was going to put on my chisel jaw, you know what I mean, but um, didn't, couldn't find it. And you can sure. lead me into wherever you want to go. I tend to waffle on. If you've got a bullshit meter, turn it on. And, <laughs> and, Unfortunately, um, I'm going to be hanging on your every word when it comes to lighthouses. You are the guy to speak to, you know, the that guru. Is, that's, well, there you go. That's bullshit. Can you not use that term, guru? I'm the cadet. I'm a janitor. 
Um, (laughs) Just a simple man going about his business around the lighthouse. You know, as we spoke about, the world full of experts and as a human, as a mere male, you just realise, you know, there's lots to learn, lots to stuff up. There's even more to forget. Such a humble person, Mark, despite, you know, your former lighthouse keeper, but you've also received a Medal of the Order of Australia for your services to community history. How did that happen then? Good question. I have no idea. I'm look. I'm passionate about history. It's this opportunity to showcase all the families, the women, the children, bring it alive. And as I mentioned the other day on the phone, that um, you know the Sydney side, as the city people come to these classic light stations for accommodation, and they look up and the, a beautiful jewel. This is the one at Sea Rock Sugarloaf Point. What a great resort they built us, and it's like. That's how it's like a bit of a joke, taking the piss. One day they're going to think that. And it's like, no, 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 there was men and women here. They gave the best years of their life. It was a remote place once. It was a, They used to come up here by a steamer. You know, they'd come in by horse and the bullocks would bring the supplies in. And over the years it's changed, you know. It's so, And even today it keeps changing. Quite amazing. And to be part of that you know, just a small, I'm only one coat of paint, remember. I'm just a blimp like all the other keepers. Why uh, you, you're never bigger than what it is. You've got to be respectful of all those families. One thing is I'm a believer in this, how you get it out to the universe because I always tell the people, you know, when you ask, how did you start? And I say, I've not said this to many interviews. Well, I was laying in bed with Rod one night because we'd have to, oh, he was my mate, but we'd sleep in single beds in the one room. And I'd say, Rod, if you die, can I have your job? I remember actually saying that to him. And he didn't die, but Tom died. Do you get it? And there, there I started my career as a lighthouse keeper. And I had this great position of being the relief keeper. So I moved around and I found the job I loved. That's all I wanted to do. I, I couldn't stop myself working. I'd paint the grass green. The old keeper saying, if it moved, you oiled it. If it stayed still, you painted it. That's what I did. And then the lighthouse engineers say, they think, yeah, he's good. We'll send him up. Hence where I got to Booby Island. It was like going to a club med to club med to Sandy Cape. I felt like I died and went to heaven. Worked with Dudley and Sue. They were the loveliest, still are, keepers around, you know. Yeah, just incredible memories. And I was a cadet, still am working on these amazing things my interest obviously grew at a rapid rate because the past you know the you'd be chipping paint layers and layers thick and you realize someone was here before you hence why i'm just another coat of paint a few different odd colors but yeah to this day what are you i'm still a lighthouse keeper i still do the same duties yeah I'm, it's just once a keeper always a keeper the lighthouse mechanics the 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 nave tech yeah, that's what I'm called at, but I'm um, they're my sirs. I go and support them. You know, it's like give them a few tips. They give me a few tips and pointers. I'll make their lunch. Come on, what are you doing? You need some water. So it's it's still a great team effort when you work with these great bunch of guys and the women. Don't forget the women. They're back there. We're all trying to do our bit to keep, um, yeah, unlike the monks, they used to burn a fire on a headland. We're just trying to keep these lights going today. One of the loveliest things is to have a well-kept lighthouse. So many in the last 20, 30 years have fallen into disrepair because we used to have a depot in New South Wales, West Australia, Victoria, um, Queensland, 
and that was the Commonwealth ships, three big ships, Tassie there was one, a cast of thousands. And now there's a depot in Brisbane. I'm trying to think of the next one. That's it, where we go around in a big V-double semi-trailer. We have a helicopter at times and we service these lights. Tragic thing is, it's the other comment, you can't save more and shipping industry, shipping lanes have changed. Some lights have just been turned off and, wow, monumental. All they are is just, they're just statues from the past. They're what we built, you know, and they're just decaying, I guess, some of them. Some of them, are, they spend $3 million to for a restoration because there hasn't been a lot of catch-up maintenance. So there's such a mishmash. One of the um, one of the more recent restoration works that you've done, I understand, is at Lady Elliot. Could you talk to us about your experiences there? Yeah, it's like another fish. You cast your line out, you bait up and you wait. So Lady Elliot's been an ongoing um, project because you never ne- you never complete a restoration. Well, I've never. I'm sure. I'm sure some expert has somewhere, but you've got to keep going back. Because they take so much effort, and this one's a metal lighthouse right on the right on the beach. But it's a really oh, it's a beautiful sight. I was when I was a lightkeeper up in the Queensland. I thought it was just got demanded, and I was like, oh, I've got to go to Lady Elliot. I see it sometimes. A picture of it is beautiful. You see, got um, Queensland lighthouses are just classic. They're timber frame, most of them are ironclad. The um, cottages are more fibro. They're not as grand as the Victorian, the big pink granite ones or the, um, the sandstone. They're, they're just, they're ornate in their own self. But Lady Elliot, I've been going there for quite a few years, probably since 2012 now, and keep going back. And now I stay in the, stay in the lighthouse. Me and my mate Mick turn up. We, get the res- we sometimes eat dinner over at the resort, but we get a fridge. I have a little bunk up in the lantern, which is great. You know, it's um, there's no longer a light in the light. So I've eventually, over time, I've been filling it up like a bit of a museum. I've got, I always source old artefacts from the lighthouse. You know, one of the sayings, you phrases you said to me the other day was, you know, preserve another day. Um, could you talk about your great work in preserving and restoring lighthouses? Yeah, great work. Look, I'm downplaying it. It's, you know what it is? It's just, it's routine. I love to think it's catch-up maintenance. And while I'm alive, I have this plan. Yeah, I'm going to retire at 78 and I'll come back as a volunteer. It's a bit of a stretch, but it's like stuff. This is what I'm going to do. And I've sort of, basically, I'm a volunteer quite often these days because, you know, the light's on, but no one's home. Where do you send the bill to? Another saying is you can't eat the view. Um <laughs> I don't know how many times I'd some some people at different sites. Oh, what a great job! And they say, but this is what it is, and it's you know you run on passion, love, devotion, and it was one of the things I did in my early days. I'd get there and I'd decorate, I'd paint everything out. I remember going to this one site. Bob had just left. He painted everything. It must have been the eighties, pink and a grey trim. And I thought, oh, I can't do this. So I painted it all out with a heritage with dados, and I'd spend hours in the nights with the head torch on. It was and paint a few pictures for the wall. It was home. I'd always leave a painting for the lady lighthouse keeper and a carton of beer for the man keeper because you're always welcome back. 
the, the passion and devotion lives on with new contractors, contract companies, which, oh, yeah, we're going to do this and get right into it. And they do the best work, unbelievable work. They get overseen by a project manager from AMSA. So AMSA is going around doing this amazing gift to all these classic lighthouses. I don't know. It's just unbelievable when you see the, the quality of work. And it's not all from just one company. It's uh, That in itself is work you live up to. That's the standard we've got to do it. You know, the National Parks in New South Wales have done a great job because, you know, they've been really well on their um, funding of doing those cottages up. I get around to many parts of Australia and I see some of the poor cousins, you know, where South Australia don't have a lot of money. So, But they're gradually getting doing them up. The Queensland light stations are so remote because they're all helicopters in. Um, Huge. Good on you, Mark. That's so um, yeah. thoughtful of you and, like, you know, such a humble and thoughtful guy. <laughs> oh, stop it, man. I just happen to be in a job I love doing too, and that's the probably the difference. You know, sometimes I just do it because it's got to be done. I do it for love. I'm a lucky boy. Yeah, it was great listening to Mark. He's clearly a very humble guy and he just loves, you can tell he just loves the Lighthouse community. It was really great hearing him not really take any personal credit and give kudos to all the people involved in the entire process. And I do think that he is a very good personification of how important the people were behind the lighthouses. And while they were a huge navigational aid, there was also just a wealth of people that are so passionate um, and involved in it. And he, I think, is a very good encapsulation of all of that. I think it's a great way of putting it, Del, because the way that both Lance and Mark describe the lighthouses, it's like they're alive. They love these lighthouses, which are just as real to them and alive to them as people walking around are just as worthy of attention and maintenance. I particularly loved Lance's description of, you know, the lighthouses need to to breathe. Just the idea that lighthouses need to breathe, people need to breathe, they're alive and kicking. Mark's wholesomeness also extends to the written correspondence that I had with him in and around this interview. If you can imagine the way he, he speaks, channel that into the way he writes. The emails that I received from him were like poetry. So I've taken a couple of extracts from Mark's uh, emails <laughs> to me. I'll read, I'll, read, I'll read them out for you. The long piece of string I spoke to you about earlier is twined along with a knot or two. Eternally missed in today's world of navades. Today, search for the lark witness marks, flying in by chopper on often these remote West Australian limestone slab offshore islands. Weather, the Buccaneer Archipelago. Caped on, supercrew, etched in the concrete helipad. Today, Cape Don sits at the old coal loader, Sydney Harbour. Have paddled on kayak past many times. Even here, the needle gun bird jacking away from the water. It's a dream. And imagine joining the friends of you'd be dreaming like like houses. You can't save them all. Wow. That was that was beautiful. I feel like you need to go back and edit some nice sort of swelling building classical music in there to really set the scene because that was it was poetry. I could imagine if I if I had to write my version of that, it might consist of emojis and truncations of the English language, but this guy, amazing. <laughs> 
You've interviewed a lot of people throughout this series, Mandy, um, and I just sort of wanted to ask, have you got the same sort of sense of community and attachment and just love and passion for these lighthouses throughout the whole the whole time? Yes, for sure. I've interviewed so far an incredibly diverse range of people and the interactions with lighthouses from the keepers, the families. Um, we've heard about, uh, you know, the maintenance crew and all of them have this same almost nostalgic passion and love for this period in their in their lives. And you see that passion even passing on to people who weren't within that working community, but the community immediately around the lighthouses. And it's just such this emotive connection people have to it because of its history, its role in history, but its beauty and its contribution to the identity of the area. Yeah, I guess it seems like that human connection is really what draws people in. Um, and yeah, it's really, really fascinating stuff. It's a great reminder that people can find passion in everything they can do, whether it's their daily job, their local community, you can find it incredibly inspiring and so tight knit. And that love continues today. What have your main takeaways, I guess, been from learning about lighthouses? I think I just never really viewed them as scientific buildings. I think I just kind of thought they were, as I said at the start, I thought they were just like a rotating light and I didn't realise the complexity and how much depth there was. There's like a whole, I found like a, the notation system they use to describe the character for each lens and it's like if it's, the, it says the colour, it says the amount of flashes and it says the duration of flashes. So it's like W5-L50 or something and stuff like that there's just a whole wealth of material behind it all and it's just like I just had never really thought of it in that way before I think I just thought lighthouses were these sort of mainly redundant buildings now I guess because systems are so much more sophisticated. That's beautiful Lucy. Lighthouses can be appreciated from many angles including science. I agree. So fortunately Del it's our final episode with you it's been such a pleasure. Mandy, it's been my absolute pleasure to be here. I've gotten so much out of it and I just would encourage everyone to learn more about the science behind things like this because it's so fascinating. You are just a treasure trove of knowledge. <laughs> I love this encyclopedic lighthouse. You should write a book, Bill. Yeah, I didn't even know I was going to go down this route until I started Googling stuff and this is just what was interesting to me. <laughs> the power of knowledge, the internet and curiosity. Exactly. So that's the way the world has changed. Thank you firstly to Mark Sheriff, OAM, and Lance Wilson, the maintenance men who kept it all running. Thanks, of course, to my co-host, Lucy Della, for educating us all. It has been an absolute pleasure. Up next, we continue our voyage about maintenance with the Cape-class ships. Until then, listen to Stuart Buchanan about turning the lights off. Thank you for listening. There's, there's one um, one thing that I do, uh, a story, you know how lighthouse keepers, their main thing, their first priority was to keep the light burning and there's one story about the head keeper who we work with at Busted Head, 
who had to put the light out one night to save light. Oh. And uh, what what happened, there was a, about 4.30 one afternoon, a distress call came in. Someone heard a mayday call, and but they lost contact. But about uh, 7 o'clock at night, they, they got contact again, and apparently this nine-metre cruiser with four people on board, their motor had broken down, and they didn't know where they were. They, they could see two lighthouses, or they could see one lighthouse, sorry, but they didn't know whether it was Busted Head or Sandy Cape. Now, there's about a hundred nautical mile difference between the two. But, so I don't know, you know, it, it, I don't know whether they're charts or what they had. <laughs> they, and there was a different, you know, Busted Head was two flashes every 10 seconds, and Sandy Cape was one every five. So, you know, how they didn't know this, I don't know. But anyhow, it turned out that the police, rang uh, Bustard Head and said, this is the Bundaboo police, they rang and said, we've had a Mayday call and there's been a request that these uh, people on board, they can't recognise the light. Could you turn the light off so that they can witness the blackout and then they'll know where they are? And uh, Jack, the head giver, said, I, I can't do that. Uh, all I can do is uh, get in touch with the regional engineer to see what he said. So Jack rang the regional engineer, and the regional engineer rang the regional controller who controlled the lights in Queensland, and he got on to marine operations in Canberra, and it was decided that they could turn the light off for uh, a, a time to, for these people to witness the blackout. So the police rang Jack, and uh, if Jack had gone up to the lighthouse to see if he could see any distress flares or signals or anything like this. And while he was up there, the phone rang and his wife, Babs, answered the phone in the cottage. And it was for Jack. So she went out and called to him in the lighthouse and he came down and answered the phone in the lighthouse. But inadvertently, Bab hadn't replaced the phone in the cottage. So nothing happened, and uh, Jack came back and thought, well, they might, they, this happens. You know, the, the authorities contact him and they forget about him. So he was, um, they went back and they were watching television, and the, um, the police couldn't get through on the phone. So they rang the, tele, the, the exchange in Bundaberg, and they said, look, the phone's engaged. So they rang the... Gladstone exchange, and the fellow there, Dick Stendhal, he plugged into Busted Head, and he said, oh, the phone's not engaged, it's off the hook. And he could hear the television set in the uh, going, but he couldn't, he, he couldn't recognise what it was. So he rang his son at home and asked him to put on the television set to see if he could uh, connect the two sounds, being similar sounds. And it turned out they were watching the Foresight Saga on ABC. And uh, the, so Dick rang the police and told them this, and the police rang the Rockhampton radio, uh, TV, ABC uh, TV station, and they said it was being shown from Brisbane. You'd have to connect, uh, contact the people in Brisbane. So they did, and they agreed to put a sign up on the screen. So Jack and Babs are sitting there watching the Foresight Saga and this message came up on the screen with the busted head lighthouse keeper please answer his telephone. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
Jack nearly had, a, had a levitated from his seat. But anyhow, he answered the telephone and it was agreed to put the light out at 11.25 that night for one minute, which he did. And the people on the, 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 the cruiser uh, saw the blackout and they, um, they knew they were off busted head. And then some rescue boat went out and got them. So all that. A happy ending. That sounds so amazing. Thank you, Stuart, for sharing. Light. 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 House. Lighthouse. Lighthouse. Thanks for having me on your show. I've been a long time listener. I really love your work.